The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hi, Joni. Here we are, sort of. We're on Skype today again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, things are very, very busy over here, so I found it almost impossible to leave the center. But I, I, it's a good thing because that means we got lots of people that we're trying to get help for. Right. And I like to think that doing this podcast helps with that. I, you know, I certainly hope so. Uh, the episode we did with my family last week, uh, they really enjoyed it because my parents, beyond anything else, want to help other parents. Right. Because there were other parents that helped them when they're dealing with everything with me. And so they've almost made it a purpose of theirs to help other parents kind of pay it forward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just actually got off the phone with a woman who uh, – who found the website and called in, and uh, she was telling me that she thinks her son is using drugs. I said, well, why Why do you think he's using drugs? And she said, well, he's got all these symptoms. And she listed literally every symptom of opiate abuse and every symptom of meth abuse. Wow. And I said, why is it just uh, Why is it just a I think? <laughs> why do you think he's, he's obviously using drugs? And this woman was just in complete denial and, you know, I was able to kind of level with her mm-hmm. and make her realize that not only is her child having a severe problem, but this is something that needs to get addressed pretty quickly. Right. And she just gave me the whole backstory and everything. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, she was really grateful that someone finally, like, didn't sugarcoat something, didn't kind of fluff something up, take it not as bad as it actually is. And I gave her some hope that there's a solution to what her family's dealing with. And so um, hopefully we'll work out a way to get her son some help. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, it's things like that that make it really rewarding to do what we do. Yep. Because I always, I always say you know, educa- educating the public is really, really important because there's still a large portion of people that are completely naive to drugs and like what's going on. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, educating the public is hugely important. Yeah. And making them aware of what's happening. And, you know, that's one of the greatest things about doing the blog that I do mm-hmm. is because it gives the public some information about, like, this is what's going on. Right. <laughs> this is what's happening in the world. And, and you know, this is what we got to do about it. Right. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just a really important thing that we're doing. I, th- I think I agree with you. And I so was thankful to your parents for talking to us last week, because, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about the parent viewpoint and what happens. It's another thing, I think, to hear from parents what they went through. And the hope is that another parent, like the one you talked to today, will listen to what your mom and dad said last week and go, oh, I'm enabling my child or, oh, I need to figure out what this is and find a support group or call Narcan on Suncoast or at least get some kind of help that there is help there available. Right. And the fact of the matter is there is help available and there's not just one type. See, that's one of the traps that people fall into when they when they finally figure out, okay, so we have a family member or a child or just a loved one that's having a problem. Most people out there who've never experienced it think there's one type of treatment. That's the things they've seen on like TV and in the movies and with people sitting around in a circle at an AA meeting or doing like the 28-day rehab thing. And 
you know, for a while, at least for me, I only thought there was one type of treatment. There's one type of help. And if you don't get it, well, sorry, you're screwed. And uh, I think it's important to let people know that there's multiple options out there. Right. With how to get help once you're addicted or you have someone that you need to get help for. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's terrible when you have those kind of blinders on, you have just straight tunnel vision, you just see one thing ahead of you. And when you go online initially, and you start looking up treatment centers and things like that. The first thing you find are like pages and pages and pages of 12 step treatment centers. Right. And so most people think that's the way you get clean. And I'm trying to break that mold. I think you are too. Right. And it isn't. Um, and for anybody listening, it's not that we're dissing 12 step programs. The thing we're trying to say is that the 12-step program doesn't work for everyone. It didn't work for you, Jason. It didn't work for Cesara. It didn't work for Derek. And so if you've tried that with your loved one or yourself and it didn't work, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. You need to check out alternatives like the Narconon program. And it's funny because, you know, in 12-step recovery, they, 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 they have this definition of what insanity is and they, and they indoctrinate you with uh, the saying, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But what a lot of people end up doing is they go in 12 step, they fail, they go back to 12 step and they fail. They go back through 12 step and they fail and they keep doing that over and over and over again. So they're actually doing the very thing they tell you not to do. Exactly. I mean, hello, if you've tried the 12 step program and it didn't work for you and then you do it again, do you think you're going to get a different result? Hello? Yeah. You know, some people do. You know, I can't knock it too hard because, you know, there's people that I know that went to 12 step rehab once and they've been sober for the rest of their lives and they were very successful and that's good. But the thing is, is like when it comes to addiction, there's no cookie cutter way to do it. Right. You can't. You can't just have this one size fits all because the fact of the matter is every addict has different, you know, parts of their life that need to get addressed in order for them to be sober. Right. There's different things that need to be dealt with. And so you can't just say, you know, there's this one size fits all. And if you don't get it, sorry, because it doesn't work like that. What works for me might not work for, you know, someone, you know, someone else that needs help. And what works for them might not work for the next person. And so... You know, you. I, I'm just a big proponent of telling people, you know, find what works for you. I don't care what you do. As long as you get sober, you handle your life, and you're successful, and you survive better. Right. Um, and so that's why we're doing this, and that's why we're informing people. And um, so, you know, I was reading this article about – so the, a doctor, a neuroscientist in Columbia University wrote an article, and I thought it was real interesting because – the article discussed the fact that there's a non-existent difference between methamphetamine and Adderall, which is a medication we give kids for ADHD. Uh, uh, like there isn't a difference. No. Um, and well, the difference, this is the weird part, the difference between Adderall and meth, you know, meth is considered this like dirty drug that's highly toxic that, you know, is just kind of done in trailer parks and you know, you think of addicts and all you know, all those things when it comes to meth. Like meth has like really bad right. connotations to it. And Adderall is just given to you by your friendly pharmacist and totally socially acceptable to give your kids. Now, structurally, like on a chemical structure level, there is no difference between Adderall and meth. Wow. They're structurally – the chemicals are structurally identical and the effects on the user are identical to each other. Wow. But we have but the, the weird part is, is that society 
has has created this mainstream acceptance of drugs and acceptance of the fact that meth is looked at as really dangerous, but Adderall is totally safe to give your kids. Ah, Uh, Makes me (laughs) crazy. (laughs) But it's a strange thing. But here it's like this is our fault as a society. Yeah. It's like we did this. This is not something that's been imposed upon. I mean, it's been kind of imposed upon us to some degree, but. We went into agreement with it. We absolutely did. We said, oh, if the doctor says it's okay or the pharmacist says it's okay, ergo, it must be okay. Hello? Well, here's the the other ridiculous part. So just first of all, the FDA has already approved pharmaceutical grade methamphetamine. To, and it's used uh, to treat obesity and also ADHD. It's a it's a drug called desoxin. It is prescription meth amphetamine. Oh my gosh! That's a thing. It exists. The FDA said it's fine. Um, Adderall is something called D D amphetamine. Okay. And the two drugs are not different than each other. They're structurally <sighs> identical. There's like there's literally no difference if, if between giving your eight-year-old Adderall before he goes to school or having him smoke a meth pipe before he goes to school. But it's going to do the same basic thing wow. to, to their body, to their mind. They're going to have the same similar reactions. And both the drugs are equally as addictive. Wow. <laughs> but the thing is, is that our society has said, no, no, no. Taking a pill and giving your kids medication for a quote unquote medical condition is totally fine, but don't, don't let them do drugs though. Wow. (laughs) You see, you see where it gets weird. It's insane. It's not just weird. It's insane. Well, I mean, we've said that basically Adderall is the the better of two evils. I I suppose if you compare it to meth, but how do you just like say, well, this drug is fine, but this drug over here is not fine when the two drugs are the same thing. Yeah. But one we said is fine to give to our kids before they go to school so they sit down and are attentive little students. It's it yeah. It's insane. Where was the article? Where did it appear? Um it appeared, I'll tell you where it appeared. It appeared um on a website called awarenessact.com. Awareness Act A C T? Yeah. Awareness Act A C T dot com. Okay. And it was talking, and it went over that this doctor's name was um, Doctor Carl Hart. Okay. And he was the and, and he I, was the one pointing out that they're the same thing. Well, he's a neuroscientist. He's a professor professor of psychiatry at Columbia University. Okay. And he wrote this article that I then kind of wrote an article on as like a synopsis of what he said, mm-hmm. and he was saying that there's literally no difference other than the societally created difference between the two drugs. Wow. Because, okay, when I think of meth or when I, whenever I think of meth, I think of the, you know, the, the addict with the rotting teeth and the, the, you know, the aging way well beyond their chronological, chronological age and the stealing, the lying and the slinking, you know, in the sh- slinking off in the shadows and robbing and, and doing all the things associated with addiction. Right. And we also think of meth, I know some people think of the show Breaking Bad. Right. Um, people think of you know Mexican drug cartels and and being, things being smuggled, you know, yep. into the United States and all sorts of varieties of interesting ways. And there's a whole like 
mock-up and connotation and thing that people create in their minds when they think of meth, right? Right. There's a certain thing they think of. Um, but with Adderall, it doesn't exist because our society is like, you know, if something's wrong, you take a pill. You know, you have a headache, take ibuprofen. You have stomach cramps, take some Pepto. You break your arm, have some Oxycontin. Right. And if your kid can't pay attention in class, you know, give them Adderall. That's, that's, that's the way our society works. It's a pill for every ill. And so if something comes in a pill form, it's socially acceptable, according to us. Right. But if something is, you know, illegally made and distributed throughout the country, it's not okay. It's kind of like the, the difference between Oxycontin and heroin. Right. There's two different connotations with two different drugs, right? right? Because Oxycontin is prescribed by doctors and heroin is illegal. Right. Exactly. But any addict would fail to see a difference in the high between the two drugs. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Because if you take take a dose of Oxycontin and you take an equivalent dose of heroin, it's going to have the exact same effects on you. It's going to have the exact same effects on the body. However... There's different societal connotations between a heroin addict and a person that gets Oxycontin from their orthopedic surgeon. Right. But these are societally created because it seems as though – like we consider pills fine. If it comes in a pill form and you get it from a pharmacist because you had a legitimate prescription from a doctor, there's no problem. But if you take the equivalent drug but the illegal form of it and the form that – so for some reason we think is the worst form as a whole, it's a whole different thing when the drugs are completely identical. Well, that is, that's the mentality today. If the doctor says it's okay, it must be okay because doctors know all, right? I, Wrong. People, back in the day, it's, it's a different world. Like when my parents were kids, you know, and I'm not going to say in what eras I want to reveal their age, they kill me. <laughs> when my parents were kids, you didn't worry about going to the doctor and, and them giving you something that you probably end up ruining your life over. Exactly. And you didn't get a variety of psychiatric drugs pushed on you. You didn't get a variety of narcotics pushed on you. And, you know, you went to your doctor when you needed a checkup or you had the flu or, you know, you broke your arm doing whatever. Right. Now it's like when you go to the doctor, you have to be really on guard because if you want drugs, you can leave a whole bunch of them. Right. And we're not talking, like I said, we're not talking just about narcotic drugs, but I mean, psychiatric drugs are a big thing too. I mean. And here's the thing, Jason, because I'm the same age as your parents, roughly. I'm better yes, that I am. You are. Okay. So when I went to school, when I was a kid at school, in elementary school, guess what? There wasn't such a thing as ADD or ADHD. There was no such thing. So how did this quote-unquote mental disorder just magically appear whenever it appeared? What's wrong with that picture? When I went to school, if I was talking out of turn or I wasn't paying attention, the teacher would figure out what was going on. The teacher wouldn't send me to the nurse or recommend to my parents that I be given medication. So how come this is so acceptable now? Because (laughs) 
it's acceptable now because all of that in the 80s became considered unacceptable behavior. And te- I, I, I personally feel like teachers needed a reason to explain why they couldn't do their jobs. Wow. And, and, and so they made it, oh, my, the kids in my class are unruly and they, they can't sit still and they won't pay attention. Because they have a mental disorder. Because they have a mental disorder. Now, there was an article, that, another article that I read, I think about, I think it was last year, that one of the doctors that was involved with the DSM-4, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. Mm-hmm. And what that manual does, there's it, it, it a variety of mental disorders and the, the symptomology and the correct indications of you know, what kind of medicine you should prescribe for each disorder. Mm-hmm. And, one of the, and so the way it works is that there's a panel of doctors that sit in a room and they vote on what should be a mental disorder and what should be included in the, the, the DSM and what shouldn't be. Oh, yeah. No, I know that. Right. Okay. And so one of the doctors involved with the inclusion of ADD and ADHD into the DSM, on his deathbed, apparently kind of (laughs) came off the fact that ADHD is a completely bogus, made-up disease as a means of pushing medication. Wow. I hope parents are listening. I do hope parents are listening to this. It's a made up, it's a made up disorder, mom and dad. It's made up. If your child is having trouble concentrating in school, find out what it is that they're being taught and what they don't understand about it. Or make sure that they eat protein for breakfast and don't go to school with their bellies full of honey nut Cheerios and nothing else. I, okay, here, I just pull, actually just looked up the article. So, yeah, the doctor's name was Dr. Leon Eisenberg. He passed away at age 87, and he was a, a prominent figure in the field of child psychiatry. And on his deathbed, well, let me back up. He was considered the inventor, the father of, AD, of ADD. Like, he's the guy that, like, created this, this, created this disease. And um, he claimed on his death, deathbed that ADHD, ADHD is a fictitious disease. Great. I hope that made him die with a clear conscience. I hope that made him feel that way. I'm not going to comment. I, this is a clean podcast, and I used to swear you say some bad things. But I yeah. want to say some really, really nasty things about that, because if you look at the number of kids who end up on drugs because they're put on something like formerly Ritterol, Ritalin, now Adderall, we'll call it Ritterol, how's that? You know, it it's... It's criminal in this country. So the guy should have died in prison, but obviously didn't. Um, But there you go. I have really nasty things to say about him. Because parents (laughs) who aren't really sure about what's happening in school, maybe you've you've got two parents working. They don't have the time to go in and sit down with the teacher or observe the class and find out what on earth is going on with their kid that they don't understand what's going on. Oh, here's an easy fix. Give him a pill. Right. And, uh... There's a quote here. I, I guess uh, this uh, this doctor was interviewed, and the interviewer said, "Experts speak of 5.4 million American children who display the symptoms typical of ADHD, 
are you saying that this mental disorder is just an invention? And the doctor said, that's correct. It is an invention. Every child who's not doing well in school is sent to see a pediatrician. And the pediatrician says, it's ADHD. Here's Ritalin. In fact, 90% of these 5.4 million kids don't have an abnormal dopamine metabolism. Their problem is if a drug is available to doctors, they'll make the corresponding diagnosis. Right. That's sick. It is sick. It, 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 don't get me started. I think I told you one time that I, <laughs> I went online and I researched. I just wanted to find out, you know, like kids on Ritalin or what have you. And I don't, I, this was years ago and I don't even remember what website I went on. But here was this woman who had her teenage son on six different dangerous psychiatric medications because when you start off with Ritalin or Adderall, you have to come up with another drug to counteract the side effects of that drug. And then there are more side effects with the second drug. And then there were more side effects with the third drug. And I I was so upset. Um, You know, it's just a good thing that I couldn't like reach out and throttle this mother to say, what on earth are you thinking? I mean, six different psychiatric medications for her child who, you know, started off with ADD. But that... But that's how it happens. Uh, and, and guess what, parents? That's, that's if the you're, doorway. That's, it, that's the doorway into it. Yeah. And if your child is having trouble sitting in a class for hours and hours, listening to somebody talk to him, welcome to childhood. Okay? I mean, it happens with all kids. I can just about say that probably most adults today would have been diagnosed with ADD if it had been around at the time. In my age, I would have, I remember my teacher I getting, getting in trouble because I was talking in class. You know, she very easily could have said to my parents, you need to take her to a pediatrician. She's got ADD. No, I like to talk. And obviously, whatever the teacher was saying wasn't more important to me than what I had to say. Okay, well, that's easily handled by finding out what did I not understand about what she was teaching in the first place, you know? Right. And the, the fact of the matter is, diagnosing a kid with ADHD that is seven years old, hyper, wants to run around and do things that normal seven-year-olds do, you're basically telling them that like childhood in general is a mental disorder. Exactly. Because kids aren't free to be kids anymore because if kids act like kids, they get put, they get put on drugs because we've decided and the, and you know the psychiatric community has decided that symptomology associated with being a child is now abnormal. Mm-hmm. Like wanting to run outside with your friends and play and do all those different things instead of like sitting there in math class. Right. It's, it's, it's insanity. But you know, there's a huge correlation between being put, kids being put on ADHD medication at an early age and then formulating addiction later in life. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and that's just kind of the way it goes. Well, didn't that happen with you? It happened with me. I mean, yeah, I was put on Ritalin at a, at a young age. And, you know, I grew up with this idea that when something's not right, you just take something. If you don't feel good, just take something. You know what I mean? Yes. It's kind of a, it's kind of almost like a, a medication or a drug or a pill mentality. If it's broken, take a pill. Right. And so the other thing is like, you don't know what you're doing to a child's mind when you're sticking them on really strong, you know, psychoactive stimulants 
while their brains are still forming. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you can guess that it might not be good. Oh, it's definitely not going to be good. You know? But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you lo- you learn at an early age when if something is considered to be wrong or doesn't feel good, you take something. And so later on in life, you know, going on and off, you know, various medications, I got to a point where I found something else that I could use to, you know, medicate away whatever didn't feel good. Right. And so that's just the mentality you get into. And so there's tons of kids out there or tons of addicts out there that were that are adults now. They're going through treatment or gone through treatment and gotten sober or whatever that as kids were diagnosed with ADHD. And so it's like you can't ignore that. You can't ignore the fact that that strong of a correlation exists. Right. And, you know, it, it all comes back to our society. Very bluntly, we're a drugged society. Mm hmm. That's what we are at this point. We're completely drugged. I mean, we're at the point now where, you know, finally uh, President Trump decided to declare opiate, the opiate crisis a national emergency. Right. Which is like, okay, well, finally. Yep. I mean, and the, and the fact of the matter is before he actually declared it an emergency. It already was. Well, it was obviously already an emergency. But the but the problem was is that his uh, I think it was his, his name was Tom Price. He's the he's the Health and Human Services Secretary in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a few days before Trump actually declared the, the crisis a national emergency. Uh, Tom Price said, actually, I have his quote pulled up here now. He said, and I quote: "We believe that at this point, the resources that we need, or the focus that we need to bring to bear on the opioid crisis, can be addressed." without the declaration of an emergency. Hmm. How could anyone think that's not an emergency? Hmm. How could anyone like say, oh, this opiate crisis is like, I mean, it's bad, but it's like, it's not an emergency. <laughs> look, at the, look at the deaths in Ohio. <laughs> uh, it's insanity. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, a, it's absolutely insane. Um, but here's the thing. The first thing that has to happen before any kind of situation like the opioid crisis, the first thing that has to happen before anything is going to be done about it is it has to be confronted. And the average person can't confront something like that. And I think no matter, and this is not a political podcast, and so I don't mean it to be that way, but I think if there's if there's one thing you can say about Trump is he can confront the bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great that we're finally going to do something proactive about the opiate problem because until now, like really not that much has been done about it as far as like from the executive branch of our government. You know what I mean? Right. It's true. Um, You know what? I mean, the good thing is that, you know, by declaring the opiate crisis finally, you know, an emergency, the idea is to, you know, be able to increase treatment capacity and giving people more access to substance abuse treatment. And, uh, uh, also furthering addiction prevention efforts. So I think that's a good. Th- I think that's a good thing. I do too. And I think we're finally. I think we're finally moving somewhere in the right direction. Uh, I don't know where it's going to end up, but hopefully it'll be good. And hopefully this will finally the opiate problem will get the the attention it deserves because it, it absolutely deserves attention. Right. I mean, I, I I just did an article and this is really sad. I did an article yesterday about. I think it was a month ago, a 13-year-old kid overdosed and died from heroin and fentanyl in New Jersey. I mean, that's that's how young you got kids using heroin. I can't. 
Wow. I can't even conceive of that. Yeah, 13-year-old, whose mother found him in his bed, you know, the next morning. That's just tragic. It's tragic. It absolutely is. And uh, that's why I'm glad the government is starting to take this a little bit more seriously. Right. That's, I mean, that's how grave it's gotten. You know what I mean? Yep. But I'm hoping that's, if parents are, are listening that they heard the part of the podcast where you pointed out that there's no chemical difference between Adderall and methamphetamine. Right. And, and so, yeah. so watch Breaking Bad if you want to get a little bit of understanding of what methamphetamine is. And then think of giving that to your child. And if that's okay with you, then go ahead with the Adderall. But if that makes you think twice, good. You need to think twice. Parents, yeah, you, parents need to consider what they're giving their children. I, I've told this story before. I'm going to say it again. My younger son, when he was little, he had a little bit of breathing difficulty. He didn't have asthma. They never said it was asthma, but just sometimes he would get a little short of breath. He must have been five or six at the time. And when I took him to the pediatrician for his school physical, she said, you need to give him this medication for his difficulty with breathing. And some little alarm bell in my head went off and I said, okay, what are the side effects of this medication? This was medication for shortness of breath. And she said, it could cause him not to sleep well, it could cause him to have nightmares, and it could cause him to be hyperactive. And I said, okay, well, thank you very much. I never filled the prescription. I never gave it to him. So the following year, when I took him back, same pediatrician, school physical had to happen every year at the beginning of the school year. She said, well, how did he react to that medication? I looked her in the eye. I said, I never gave it to him. She was so outraged with me. She said, what do you mean you didn't give it to him? But he needs it. And I said, I'm not going to put my kid on a drug like that. And then I went crying to my chiropractor. And the bottom line is, my son grew out of it. He had two experiences over about a three-year period where it was bad enough that he went in and got one of those inhaler thingies. Right. He grew out of it. He plays basketball every weekend. He's an active guy. He's in his 30s. He grew out of the problem. He didn't need a dangerous drug. But had I given that to him, who knows what the side effects would have been and what I would then have had to give him so that he could get a good night's sleep or what have you. I mean... Well, it's a good judgment call because too many parents out there would have not thought twice about yeah. filling whatever prescription the doctor gives them and giving it to their kids without considering, you know, the side effects and what could be the negative consequences of taking this drug. Now, I'm not against medications. Like, you know, it's like if you have heart problems, you should take your heart medication. If you've got diabetes, you should take your insulin and so on and so forth. But there's certain things that require a second look after the doctor gives you that prescription paper. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And as we've discussed, when I went to Los Angeles, I threw my back out. I have back issues. I have a lot of arthritis in my lower back. I was in major heavy duty pain because I I messed it up. I lifted something I shouldn't. 
but I went to the doctor. He gave me two prescriptions. One was steroids. One was Norco, which is a very heavy painkiller. I took the steroids because I knew I had to get the inflammation down, but I didn't take the Norco because once the inflammation went down, I wasn't in as much pain. That's right. Hello. Well, it's handling it's handling the cause and not the symptoms. Exactly. That, that's exactly. The idea. So, you know, that, I, I mean, that's where it's at. And you know, if nothing else, I'm, I'm glad that the people are, who are listening to this are actually able to get like a realistic societal update of kind of where we are as um, as a group. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. There's too many. I, I still feel like there's people out there. That might be like, yeah, I mean, it's an isolated problem. It's, it's over here and it's over there. But it's, not, it's not everywhere. It's like, it, oh, well, you really got to wake up because, like I said, people consider drugs to be the things that are illegal and not the things you get from your doctor. And, you know, the countless prescriptions that are written across the, you know, the country every single day. And it is everywhere, okay? You were not raised by a drug addict. You were not raised by, you know, a single mom in the slums. You were raised by two parents who loved you a lot, who still love you a lot, who are, I would say, probably upper middle class. I mean, I haven't met them, but that's my guess. And, you know, didn't know that's right. that this could possibly happen to their son. And you are not an isolated occurrence. We've already talked to Derek. We've talked to Aiden. We've talked to Cicera. I mean, it's not isolated. And if you, you know, your listeners, you can't see these young people. So if you're thinking that these people that I've, that we've interviewed, um, you know, are missing teeth and are dirty and degraded, you need to think again. These are very bright, attractive, able young people who made some bad choices and ended up addicted. You know, it's not, you know, we've said this over and over and over again. If you're listening and you suspect that a loved one is addicted, but you just don't want to go there, you need to go there because it's no longer just the guy in dirty rags down in the slums of the city shooting up. It's not. No, it's like, it's the kids out of like the J crew catalogs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, tell, tell me more about this woman that you talked to. I mean, don't tell me your name, obviously, but what did what were some of the things that she had noticed with her child? Well, she had noticed that he his pupils were pinpoint, which is indicative of opiate use. Okay, and guess what, everybody? That's not normal. Your pupils shouldn't be pinpoint. Okay, so if you're looking at your kid and you notice that their pupils are really, really tiny, that's not normal, okay? Go ahead. Yeah, not normal. And uh, he was sluggish, sleepy, couldn't hold a job, was very angry, um, kind of aggressive, he then would also flip and have this insane amount of nervous, fidgety energy. His pupils would, would then become dilated. And he would, when I guess she heard him in the bathroom, and it sounded like he completely lost his breath and like almost like he couldn't breathe. She thought he was overdosing, but that is also wait, this, what she was witnessing was the effects of shooting up meth. Because when you shoot up meth, you lose your breath and you start oh. and your your lungs kind of spaz out and you start coughing. Uh, it's, and what it says is it's all the toxins and the narcotics rushing through your body and ending up in your pulmonary artery, infecting your lungs. And so she was saying, yeah, he was in the bathroom and it sounded like he was coughing and he couldn't breathe. And I said, yeah, he was, he was probably shooting up meth. Wow. He got to the point where the kid completely denies using drugs. And he's, all, and he's also stealing. 
And so, and she'll find like things from the house, like in his car, and he has no explanation for it, but says he definitely didn't do it. And uh, he won't admit to using drugs, says mom, but other family members have, you know, seen what the mom sees, but also other family members, like, pretty much know he's using drugs. Wow. The kid won't admit it. The kid doesn't want help. Um, I, I, she, the mom kicked him out, and he's not allowed to stay at their house. And so she just like she didn't know what to do, and I think she just needed someone to kind of light, light light a fire under her, yeah, to to get her to do something that she pretty much probably knew she already had to do, right? But I think she wanted someone to really kind of just like solidify that in her mind, and so like, enlightening people is one of the greatest things that I can do because that puts them one step closer to being able to handle someone. That's suffering. Right. And someone that's, you know, going through something that they've lost complete control over. Right. So did she, what did she agree to do? Well, I, I'm trying to get her on the phone with an intake counselor so that they can see if they can move forward with uh, doing whatever, whatever we have to do to help her child, which is more than likely going to be an intervention. Right. So we'll see. And, you know, on our next episode, I'll definitely let you know. <laughs> yeah. That went. So. Okay. Well, I guess then we're done for today. Um, I hope that the people listening have, you know, learned something today and gotten some idea of the situation and that there are other solutions out there. You know, if you've got, if you know somebody that you suspect is addicted and maybe they've done treatment and the treatment for whatever reason didn't work for them, you know, there are, there are other options available and, um, you know, there are, they need to call, they need to call Narconon. Narconon has an anonymous 800 number. It's 877-339-3324. Or you can go to narcononsuncoast.org and you can, um, there's a chat window that opens up and you can talk to someone and it's all anonymous, but you need to get help. If, if you're addicted, you need to get help. And if you have a loved one that's addicted, you need to get help. And we're, and we're here. And so, you know, we'll continue to help. We'll continue to talk Yep. and, um, We'll see you again next week. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, Jason, you can come over so we don't have some of the technical difficulties with Skype. But um, we'll see. You're busy. And while busy is, uh, it's good and it's bad. It's bad because of all of the addiction that exists out there. But it's good that Narconon is helping people. That's absolutely right. And, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Exactly. So we'll talk next week. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Johnny. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 